C.L. Brown is back from South Bend, which is always a fun trip in January. And uh, we're going to recap UNC, Notre Dame, and a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm News and Observer sports columnist Luke DeCock. C.L., how was South Bend? I'm still trying to thaw out from that, man. It was so cold. <laughs> Just from the parking lot to the, to the uh, gate where we, we the press enters. It wasn't that far of a walk, and I, my ears were about to fall off and shatter into like a thousand glass pieces. But <laughs> outside of that, it, it was it was it was all right. It wasn't good for the Tar Heels, though. That's for sure. No, and a little cold at times on the basketball court as well. But I want to throw out some of my impressions just watching the game on TV and see see what you think. Number one was I was shocked early on at UNC's failure to get the ball inside. And then I was equally shocked uh, when UNC went small and actually had success. But by the fact that UNC, with all this five-star talent, is basically having the style of play dictated to it by Notre Dame, which is an old team. And this was a pretty heralded recruiting class. But it still feels like it's just not something you traditionally see with, with, with North Carolina. Sort of they, Traditionally, especially under Roy Williams, were the ones dictating the style. Uh, that, that struck me as odd last night. Yeah, I th- think that's what makes Hubert Davis so frustrated um, by by what he's seeing. I, I will say the the caveat to that is uh, being without Dawson Garcia changed a lot for for Carolina. Not not being sure. able to have that third big and to be able to consistently play with two bigs if he wanted to. You know, he still might have might have ended up going small in that game. Uh, who knows? But. Your point about uh, Armando Bacon, I mean, he was dominating in the first half. He had 16 of his 21 in the first half, seven and nine shooting when Notre Dame wasn't doubling. And and they didn't start double teaming him until late in the first half. Uh, But Mike Gray was doing that so they wouldn't get hot shooting three pointers. But to your point, I feel like this team forgets about (laughs) like forgets about post play they forget about Armando on the block I think sometimes it seems like it's like the players will come down thinking it's my turn to shoot like it won't matter about (laughs) what they actually see on the court and how they're being defended it's just it's I haven't taken a shot in a minute so it's my turn (laughs) this is going up and and I think it kind of felt like that last night too like they there wasn't a continuity to it. it. It felt very, very much individual play um, offensively and, and defensively, for that matter, the way that, you know, after the game, there was a lot of talk about a lack of communication defensively. And uh, that that's part of why Notre Dame's had so many open shots on those 13 three-pointers they hit. It just feels like this is a, a kind of a, a- theme that we've we've touched on before it's just both last year and this year under Roy under Hubert has just been less than the sum of its parts and I don't know whether that's chemistry or just skill sets that aren't necessarily complementary or the lack of like a true you know pass first point guard uh it just wh- whatever it is this sort of mix of players uh, maybe through no fault of their own, just sort of collectively, it just hasn't gelled to the point where they seem to be, you know, more than more than they are individually. A lot of individual play at times, not just against Notre Dame, but 
you know, Kentucky or, or whoever that feels like some, some one-on-one stuff at times when you just kind of need to, to run the offense, anything you see there in that respect that jumps out to you? Well, I think it's, it's partly a byproduct of, um, <laughs> I'm going to sound like the old man <laughs> now get off my lawn. But I, I mean, I think that's that's kind of where we are in college basketball. You know, you you welcome in three transfers and they have to get acclimated. There's not the continuity of, you know, I had this freshman class of four guys and they're going to build and grow and the class behind them. And, you know, everybody's going to kind of know each other and, and, you know, play together off of that, that that chemistry that kind of builds up um, like that. And I, and I also think that Coach K made this point before about so many guys in their high school in, in with individual trainers and they learn skill, but they don't necessarily learn, you know, the greater context of playing in a team. And, and he was making that point. I had asked the question about entry passes because it seems <laughs> like nowadays nobody can make an entry pass to the post. And he was saying it's because they don't really, they don't really learn it. They don't really, they don't yeah. play pickup games the same way that back in the day players that's how you got better you played a lot of pickup games and you know you developed in that sense so I I think there's a little bit of that too and and let me say this from from you know however well that I know these guys on the team which whatever we're in COVID so I'm, I'm not professing to know their deepest thoughts but there are a bunch of good guys on this team. It's not that it's, I feel like that there are a bunch of selfish guys who are, you know, just really having an agenda and they're trying to get to the league. So this is what they're doing. It's just, it's just not, you know, meshing together. It's, it's very much still kind of fragmented and, and there's not that continuity that they need. Yeah. I I don't, like when I say chemistry issues, I don't really feel like it's guys who hate each other. Um, you know, certainly that's not apparent from the outside. It just feels like some square peg and round hole issues. And then obviously bringing in two transfers, we're going to see a lot of the ball. Uh, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's some of that. It's, it, it's interesting. And I think really when you look at this, to me, the challenge for Hubert Davis is not necessarily getting this set of parts to fit, because I think, there's there's only so much you're going to be able to do now in January over the next two and a half months. I, I think he's got to figure out what from this group is going to work next year and what does he need to bring in and what does next year's recruiting class have to do when those kids come in to 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 fit, to make it work. Like what's yeah. what's the what's the answer there? Think about that now. And to that extent, I'm still curious that DeMarco Dunn and Dontra Styles haven't played more. It just feels like not that you're thinking about next year already necessarily, but you should be thinking about next year necessarily already because, you know, this group I think has a pretty limited ceiling that we've seen over the last two years. And if I'm Hubert Davis, I'm thinking, what do I have to do to get to a team that can challenge for the ACC next year? And maybe Dunn and Styles are a part of that. Maybe they're not. Yeah, but I would like to see... <laughs> You know, I would like to see them a little bit more. And last night they had to play a little bit more uh, because of of uh, the three players that were out, uh, Dawson Garcia, Justin McCoy, and Kerwin Walton. So, you know, um, he had to kind of loosen up that rotation. And DeMarco Dunn 
uh, got in early and, you know, I mean, finished, finished playing with eight minutes. You could tell, you could tell he had nerves though. And especially his first shot from, from the corner, he took a three that airballed. And to me, you know, he's, he's a good shooter and he was open on that shot. And it, it just seemed like one of those deals where he's a, he's in a road game in the first half. And it's not even that the crowd was intimidating or something, but you know, it's just an unfamiliar environment. And, and yeah, he, he uh, didn't score, didn't end up with any points, but if you let them, if you put them in earlier in the season against uh, in some of these non-conference games that they had, then maybe when that moment comes for him, you know, in January that he's, he's a little bit more prepared for it. I, I, I just, I feel like he could have Hubert could have gotten those guys a little bit more burned uh, in the non-conference play to where they they would be, you know. I mean, they're still freshmen and they still lack a lot of things, but I think that's how you get them get them ready, get them prepared. So um, we'll see going forward. You know, uh, to your point, um, you know, you, you always as a coach have to be thinking about the next year, you know, so we'll, we'll see how that kind of plays out. And I don't, I really don't want to get in the habit of comparing Hubert to Roy and all that stuff. I don't think that's healthy or fair or any of that, but that was one of the things Roy was really good at was basically say, yes. Hey, yes. I'm going to play Stillman white. I'm going to play Andrew Playtech in December against Ohio state. And you're going to scream at me and say, why is Andrew <laughs> Playtech on the floor or whoever it is yeah. leaky black when he was younger. Um, you know, any of these guys who didn't come in and, and play a lot right away. And then when he needed them in January and February, you know, those guys were sometimes a little more capable of contributing. As I said, I don't want to get into the habit of, of that, but I always thought that's something that Roy Williams was really, really good at. And like yeah, Mike Krzyzewski is not like he's playing maybe nine guys, eight guys in December and seven guys in January. Like he was yeah. never going to play 12 guys early in the year and it seems like hubert is on the mike sasevsky track when it comes to maybe that's maybe that's the way you got to do it in 2021 because your theory is you're going to lose those guys in the portal anyway so you might as well pick your nine guys eight guys and and roll with it you know rather than trying to find minutes for sean obi or whatever i don't know i kind of had the theory that roy would play anybody in the first half of the game and and it's because you know, like, okay, if they make mistakes or whatever, you can compensate for that. It's not going to yeah. lose you the game early. And and I I do think there's a way to kind of get your young guys in there and and at least see what they have and and allow, allow them to get some confidence. You know, allow them yeah. to make some plays so that they'll be ready. But yeah, we'll we'll see. One one actually, I forgot to make this point. Uh, when we were talking about Carolina's offense, I think one thing is Hubert allows them a lot of freedom um, hmm. to make their own decisions offensively. And and I think maybe even as the season progresses, he might have to tighten that up and start, if not calling plays, at least dictating the ball needs to go here, you know, yeah. because in the, in the final closing minutes of last night's game, um, they kind of fell apart offensively. They took some yeah. bad shots and, and you know, ended up scoring on maybe two of their last seven possessions, I think it was. Um, and they weren't taking quality shots either. So, you know, the execution down the stretch lost them that game. So, you know, 
that's that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, they looked like a young team on the road, and I don't necessarily think that think of this as a young team on the road, but they certainly looked that way. So, all right, so Virginia Tech lost to NC State at home. Uh, great win for the Wolfpack, terrible loss for Virginia Tech, uh, which has sort of been a fringe top 25 team, not a game the Hokies should lose. UNC goes up to Notre Dame and loses. I actually ran the numbers on how many teams have beaten UNC and Kentucky in the same season. Uh, oh, it's happened wow. a lot. It's happened a lot more lately than it did in the past. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so it's, uh, it's, uh, let me see if I can find that real quick. Uh, Notre Dame is the seventh team since 2014 to beat UNC and Kentucky in the hmm. same season. It did not happen at all uh, between 2003 and 2012, uh, for hey. what that's worth. And, and somehow this will appeal to you, uh, in some ways, um, for a lot of reasons, but Louisville, despite being in the ACC and playing Kentucky, uh, pretty much every year for the last two decades has never done it. So mm-hmm. something for the, something for the Cardinals to expire, to aspire <laughs> to, but there was a period of time where nobody, and a lot of teams played both teams. Nobody beat Notre Dame. Uh, New UNC in Kentucky, and, and uh, lately it's been happening a lot, which is uh, college basketball. Anyway, with, I've, we've been detoured. Louisville and Miami both undefeated in the ACC. Of those four teams, and you can throw in anyone else you want, is UNC still the second-best team in the ACC? Is Virginia Tech at one point was still the second-best team in the ACC? Or do you like Louisville or Miami? Uh, I don't like Louisville or Miami as the second best team. I, to me, the jury is is definitely still out on Louisville. I thought they could be a top five team in the league. But um, I mean, right now, I hate to say it this way, but they're not they're not playing anybody. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know neither, what I mean? is like Miami. It's, neither it's is a Miami. backloaded yeah, schedule. So um, uh, matter of fact, we would have done this last week had this question i probably would have said wake forest at the time to be honest oh you know what i i admitted wake forest i i think that's that's a fair despite what's happened in the last week that's still a fair proposal yeah yeah i i like the i lo- love the energy that steve Forbes has brought to that program but on on paper i still would say north carolina um i, I despite everything you know and I say everything in air quotes that has gone wrong defensively. I still think that they, when they're at full strength, have too much firepower um, and and should be beating the rest of these teams. I think it's going to be an interesting one on Saturday just because of uh, Virginia's style. And, you know, if you're not disciplined against them, you can kind of get <laughs> drag down a rabbit hole and be in a game that you shouldn't be in and end up losing a game. Now, I think they should beat Virginia, um, uh, who certainly had their struggles. Maybe they're getting it straightened out now. They've won their last two on the road. Uh, but, yeah, I, it's, it's it's just such a crazy year in the ACC that, that we're even having this conversation about <laughs> – the number two team and and they're not being teams good enough to to qualify for that. It's it's kind of number two by default almost. I mean, whoever it is, and I still think it's UNC for all the reasons that you say the, the potential explosiveness there, the athleticism, just the raw talent. I mean, it, it's there's there's good players on that team more so I think than Virginia Tech and I, I you know Louisville and Miami. I, I don't really 
you know, they've, they've still got to go through the acid test. Virginia is an interesting one because the Cavaliers have, I mean, they started horribly, have gotten better. Uh, Wake Forest, you know, we'll see, but I agree with you on Forbes. He's been exactly what Wake Forest needed. And Alondis Williams has been amazing. Yeah. I mean, who, who knew um, based on his time in Oklahoma? It's fascinating, though. The second best team in the ACC, I, I started looking to get to a point where it's also the second, whoever it is, roughly, where it's also the second best team in another conference. None of the Power Five, not the Big East, not the West Coast Conference. The ACC's second best team would be the second best team in the Missouri Valley behind Loyola. And it would be the second best team in the American behind Houston. Um, that's how far you have to go to kind of draw that comparison. And I'll be honest, after after watching Loyola today um, beat USF and like either of those teams to me is the second best team in the ACC. Um, I'm not I'm not joking. No, they I, I play better not. basketball crazy. than than I've seen from anyone other than Duke. This like it, that was a great game it's on a neutral court. Neither team had much time to prepare. It's in Salt Lake City at a junior college, and it was better raw basketball. The shooting, the offense was amazing. It's two really good coaches, Drew Valentine and Todd Golden. You know, Todd Golden's really at the forefront um, of everything that's happening in analytics and college basketball. Drew Valentine, I mean, his his pedigree at Greg Campy and Tom Izzo is, is, is terrific, and his dad was a great coach um, in Michigan. It's just like you could just see it, like, Honestly, it was the kind of well-prepared, cohesive, structured, well-coached basketball that you don't that you used to see every night in the ACC. And to me, I just you just don't see it as much anymore. And part of that's the state of the game, and I think part of that is you know the ACC doesn't have the Bobby Cremens and you know whoever Al Skinner who was able to win at Boston College when no one else could These guys just don't seem to be out <laughs> the there the curse of Al Skinner still the curse of Al Skinner over BC <laughs> the the cloud haven't made an NCAA tournament since he got fired since he got it's just cup. a bunch of ghosts over the campus doing flex cuts <laughs> over and over again <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> the curse of Al Skinner uh you know Gary 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 Williams loved the flex too but uh, yeah, I, it's just it's just weird, and we, we're going to talk ad nauseum over the next two months about the state of the ACC because you can't avoid it. Yeah. Um, I, I think the part that's crazy to me, you know, as we sit here and try to figure out who the second or third best team is, I don't, I can't put my finger on it. Like, yeah, the transfer portal, everyone else is going through that too. Baylor has been reloading their roster on the fly for five or six years. And nobody's been better during the pandemic than Baylor. Baylor's lost two games since March, 2020. Um, you know, Gonzaga doesn't have the recruiting base, uh, quite frankly, the reputation of some of these schools, but they've been able to be consistently good. Um, you know, Duke wasn't that good in 2020. It's not like Duke's been consistent, consistently excellent, although they were a shot away from the final four in 18 and 19, which would completely change their narrative. It just, it's weird to me that like the SEC, what's different about the SEC from the ACC and the SEC is like the ACC used to be. SEC is going to get nine teams into the tournament this year. Um, they've been great. I just, I don't have answers. I, I really don't. Most of this time, you know, I can sit here and be a know-it-all and say, well, if you look at you know, the analytics and, you know, the recruiting trends since 20, like all that BS, I, I don't have an answer. I just look at a league that simultaneously had, 11 of its 15 programs on the struggle bus at the same time. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's baffling that we're at this point uh, because of what the ACC has been historically. And and I don't have an answer either. I mean, I <laughs> uh, trust me. I would I would like to I would like to present one. I would like to have an easy uh, an easy idea to point to to say this is why it's happened. But I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, the only thing I can think of is maybe. Um, this is just the cycle for the ACC, and and the switch is going to flip, and it's going to be better, which is what I, you know, I have to believe that because of what it's always been. I don't think we'll continue to see years like this, but it's it's not a whole lot of fun watching <laughs> it this year. I'll just put it that way. The one comparison I'll draw is if you go back to sort of before Nick Saban got to Alabama, there was a period of time where the SEC wasn't great in football. You know, it wasn't what it is now. You know, Arkansas wasn't very good. Alabama wasn't great. Auburn, there was a period of time where Auburn was terrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you go back to sort of the, ni- the 90s, um, you know, Florida, that Florida's pretty good all along. But, but, you know, you look across that league and it was kind of like everybody was Vanderbilt for a while. Um, and now, and, and obviously that was, that was cyclical and you, you kind of, kind of couple coaches in the right places and Auburn's back on top and Alabama becomes Alabama again. But, you know, there was a period of time where people talked about, will Alabama ever be what it was under Bear Bryant again, the same way we're talking about some of these ACC programs. And obviously you get the right coach in there. And I don't think the ACC has the wrong coaches in a lot of places. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you have to hope it's cyclical because there is not a, you know, there's there's not a magic bullet that's going to fix this, and it just happens to come at a time where the ACC, which is which is fine, new commissioner comes in really prioritizing football. It's bad timing to be kind of putting this football heavy uh, vibe out there at a time when ACC basketball is about to send three teams to the NCAA tournament for the first time in forever. So it's a it's a weird situation, especially when you you, you bring football into the equation. Um, yeah. It's very weird. So let's talk about a basketball where the ACC is actually doing terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, tonight, we're recording this on a Thursday night. Tonight, NC State's going to play UNC, a meeting of top 25 teams. Even at some shade thrown, Courtney Banghart, <laughs> the UNC coach, kind of saying it's easy to sell out Reynolds because it's small, which I, I thought was just bizarre. I don't know why they let these Ivy League people talk about the ACC <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, uh, but I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. NC State is a legit national title contender, ranked in the top 10. Uh, Louisville's in the top 10. UNC is a top 25 team, although this, this, the, the NC State game, and we'll find out how that went, uh, really their first game against a good team, and they, they, they haven't played anybody. Paul, uh, UNC's got some, some proving to do, and uh, Duke has, has played well. Um, you know, really – Carol Lawson's first team at Duke uh, lost lost to South Carolina, lost a couple of games, but but still a top twenty five caliber program. Clearly, we're, we're looking at a little bit, and as I wrote a few weeks ago, about women's basketball renaissance in the Triangle, which for a long time, you know, with Kay Yao, uh, with with Sylvia Hatchell, later on with Gail Ghost and Cars at Duke, uh, with traditionally sort of a, a power center in in, in women's basketball. Uh, you know, what? any reasons you can put your finger on why we've seen this revival of, of women's basketball in the triangle? Well, I, I do think that uh, that in Carolina's case, that 
Coach Banghart injected a new I, – I, I think anytime when you have a coach for a long time like Sylvia Sylvia, – I can't say her name. Sylvia Hatchell was in place at Carolina. I think you can get to periods where things can kind of get stale and you need to rejuvenate. So I, I, I think it was a, a great hire by Bubba Cunningham to bring – in uh Courtney Bankhart and and she's probably got this turnaround faster than I thought um than I thought she would and and I don't even I don't even judge the outcome of Carolina State as kind of the barometer for this team because they've proven in in you know when they were still building the past two seasons that they could they could win this game in a rivalry game they could win against state with state was still the much more established team um, but it's, I, I, I feel like this should be a good women's basketball area and we should be talking about it more and, and, uh, and kind of, uh, celebrating it more than we do. And so I, I'm glad to see this for the area. Cause I think we've probably, uh, it's probably been overlooked because there weren't, there weren't the marquee games, like, like top 25 teams playing, um, in, in recent years. And I, I do feel like this is, uh, a little bit of a throwback to the, the early two thousands when it seemed like, you know, this was more of a regular occurrence. I mean, the road to the ACC title in that period you're talking about and before it, you know, it went through the triangle, you know, whether it was yeah. NC state or Carolina or Duke, uh, you know, final four appearances, ACC titles, you know, it was just sort of metronomic and obviously a couple of things changed. Adding Louisville and Notre Dame to the ACC mix, you're you know you're bringing in two traditional women's basketball powerhouses, or recently anyway, um, that skewed things. And we went through a period where, until NC State won in 2020, the Triangle had this long ACC title drought. Uh, mm-hmm. That that state, not just for a long drought for itself, but for the Triangle. And you know, in, in some cases, I think whether it was Sylvia Hatchell or Joanne P. McCauley at Duke. You had coaches who were there for a long time who just weren't winning anymore. You know, Macaulay never really, I mean, had, had a couple of good years, but never won to the standards of her predecessor or really what the standards for Duke should be. And Sylvia obviously had an amazing career, but, yeah. you know, really kind of went down in flames at the end with the accusations of, of, of sort of poor treatment of players. And, 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 and that was true at Duke as well, sort of persistent over the course of Macaulay's career. But it's, it's proof. And maybe this is true in men's basketball, too. If you bring in the right person, whether that's Courtney Banghart, who won at Princeton, or, or Carol Lawson, who sort of is this, you know, without having coaching college, is this college basketball thought leader, or, you know, basketball thought leader. I mean, I get I see Carol Lawson quotes retweeted by high school coaches on my timeline all the time. She hasn't actually yeah. won anything <laughs> as a coach yet, but people really care about what she thinks and has to say because she sort of earned that bully pulpit over the course of her career as a player and broadcaster. It's been a remarkable turnaround this year. And the funny thing is we've spent more time talking about UNC and Duke because that's new and, and they're back and it's a revival. But man, you know, NC State's program over the last couple of years, just metronomic in its excellence. Um, the loss to Georgia obviously is is unfortunate earlier this year, but but still the team to beat, I think, in the ACC, the Louisville games, uh, the games against Duke and Carolina are going to be amazing. But you know, we're in a position where three of the four best teams in the ACC right now are in the triangle. That's that's the way it always was. And yeah, I guess the, yeah. the way it probably should be. 
And uh, it is the way it should be. At, at least <laughs> it feels that way historically. And I, I'm, I'm glad to see it uh, coming back, especially in a year where the men side, there isn't a lot up there <laughs> side of the bargain. So, yeah. Well, I will see you Saturday for UNC in Virginia. I think what has become a really important game for both teams. I mean, if Virginia is legit, this is a chance to prove it. And I think UNC, uh, this falls into the must-win category for the Heels. I mean, you've got to win your home games yeah. against the sort of mid- middle-tier teams in the league if you're going to be the team that UNC thought it was. Any one key factor in that game in your mind? Well, I think I think one key factor is if Dawson Garcia is going to play or not, <laughs> because yeah. I, I think he can uh, help open up a lot for Carolina uh, against that pack line, and and it'll be it'll be different just because you know uh, Roy style versus the pack line. Kind of, there was a lot of clutter in the lane where this four out one in that Carolina's been playing. In in theory, it should create some some matchup problems for Virginia and and being able to space things out because they're not going to be able to double team the way that they like to when Armando Baker gets the ball in the post um, by bringing that other big, you know, uh, Virginia uses its bigs to double most of the time. So, um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting from a, from a chess match perspective, how, how this style of Hubert Davis works against that style of Tony Bennett's defense. We shall see, and we will probably talk about it next week. Thank you, CL. Uh, for CL Brown, I'm Luke DeCock, and, and this has been the, uh, the, I believe, seventh episode of the ACC Now podcast. Thank you very much for listening.